How far should Christians go in developing joint efforts to fight abortion? And can the enemy of my enemy be my friend? You're listening to Activist Radio on The Mark Harrington Show. Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can donate to our organization by going to createdequal.org. So today on the program, we're going to be talking about the issue of the sexual revolutionaries and how they're canceling pro-life activists and also whether we should be forming alliances with those who oppose us. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that. But before we do, I want to uh, draw attention to an event coming up here uh, soon here in Columbus, and that is called the Day of Action. The Day of Action, which is a two-day event, actually. <laughs> the, the night before, we spend time in training young people in pro-life apologetics, and then we take them out on the street. And that will be June 13 and 14. It's here in Columbus. Uh, for a nominal fee, you'll get trained by some of the best pro-life apologetics uh, apologists in the pro-life movement. And then we take you out on the street and we do public outreach at overpasses and abortion centers and downtown squares and universities. So this is a good entry point for someone who's considering pro-life activism, either on a volunteer basis or beyond that. And so uh, if you want, go to createdequal.org and you can sign up for the Day of Action. All right. So listen, what I want to do today is talk about this issue of the sexual revolution and how it's changing the landscape in the pro-life movement, uh, how they are aligning themselves with pro-abortion activists and canceling pro-life speech. Uh, But I also want to talk about this issue of what Francis Schaeffer the great theologian um, who who really uh, brought this to the attention of the evangelical church in the late 1980s, what he called co-belligerence, and that is aligning ourselves in joint ventures to fight abortion, and what limits we need to be putting on that. So we're going to be talking about that maybe in the second half of the program. In order to do that today, I have as my guest John Henry Weston from LifeSite News. He's one of the co-founders and also uh, the editor-in-chief. John, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. So the reason I wanted to bring you on, John Henry, is that I I follow LifeSite News as a pro-life activist. We get lots of our news from that site. Uh, I I love the site, by the way. I I think you guys are on the cutting edge of reporting what's going on. I like your uh, your boldness. Uh, You you report it as it is. You're not uh, like the politically correct part of our pro-life movement. You're not Republican shills, (laughs) if you will. Uh, So I appreciate the straightforwardness. Uh, And and so I saw that... um, you know, you had been running up against big tech in the past, Facebook and the others, and, you know, them trying to censor you. But they apparently have deplatformed you uh, for good. And so when I saw that article, I wanted to bring you guys on to talk about it. And 
you know, I, just to go back a little bit, we're all familiar with this now. Um, this has been a problem for years, but really came to a head at the uh, end of the Trump administration here in America and the election, culminating in the January 6 events and so forth, where they started deplatforming all kinds of people and groups all across America. And like others, we were starting to think about our own situation. Uh, and so this isn't new to anybody. I don't we need to go back and deal with all of that. But I, I find what's interesting here in your situation is that pro-abortion and LGBT groups like GLAAD Human Rights Campaign have uh, have made an alliance with NARAL Pro-Choice America to come against you guys. Uh, and they used COVID to take you down, which I thought was interesting. They didn't deal with the LGBT stuff directly or the pro-life stuff. They brought up your COVID pos uh, positions. Uh, if you would, tell, tell us kind of what's gone on there with you guys and big tech over the last uh, several years and months. Yeah, so we actually, believe it or not, we were warned before, particularly about our LGBT transgender coverage. Uh, that was a sensitivity. We saw people, uh, our Twitter account was actually suspended first uh, well Ooh. over a year ago because we refused okay. to call a biological male a female. Uh, and so that, that happened. We refused to do that, and we let Twitter go eventually. We went back a couple times, uh, but we thought, this is ridiculous. So in terms of the other big thing that happened, uh, that was YouTube. Back in February, um, really right after uh, Biden got in, um, there was that whole host of deplatforming. And they said always that it was around the uh, COVID issue. However, the first warning also came through an LGBT issue. Uh, we were deplatformed, actually, first of all, because of comments from a nun, a priest, and a bishop. <laughs> it mm. sounds like a bad joke, but it's actually true. Yeah, it does. So, interestingly, this information that you're mentioning comes is sort of new to us, too. Uh, Facebook deplatforms us uh, just uh, about, uh, what, three weeks ago now. And uh, they present, oh, it's all this COVID stuff. You're providing medical disinformation. By the way, all the information we're providing is totally available on the U.S. government's own VAERS website, the mm -hmm. adverse reaction website to the vaccine. So nothing that we're publishing is not public information from the government already. And we're quoting from experts in the field, doctors, virologists, um, epidemiologists, microbiologists. So, I mean, yeah, okay, the, the medical expert uh, at, uh, at Facebook and Google are saying, no, you can't right. do this. Well, it doesn't fit the narrative. As you know, it doesn't fit their narrative. <laughs> Absolutely. So the interesting part, though, is the little brag fest that NARAL does with GLAAD mm -hmm. Human Rights Campaign and uh, mm -hmm. the media research. They are the, basically the, the Soros-funded arm of uh, media checking uh, for the left. And so right. we basically learned from them that they were all in cahoots and, and spent long periods of time researching and sending to uh, Facebook the, our violations against their COVID policy and getting them, getting us deplatformed that way. But uh, we're actually grateful for them for letting us know it was them because that's interesting to learn. Uh, right now, they're seeking to 
deplatform us completely because we have a couple of other channels, not under the name of LifeSite. We have Weekend End Abortion. We have, we we defend the family. So those Facebook sites are still active. My own personal YouTube page um, is is actually also still active. Uh, but you know. Basically, we're telling everyone now, go direct to LifeSiteNews.com because we're secure there. Any video we put out, any podcast, anything we put out is right there for you to go to, for, you know, and uh, you won't get deplatformed there. We're just uh, solid there. In fact, we're making the plans so that we can't get deplatformed there uh, because well, I we're worried about that. all sorts of other things as well. So uh, let me ask you this, uh, you know, as, as a pro-life activist and LifeSite was founded as a pro-life site obviously, and that is the primary mission of LifeSite. Why do you feel it's necessary to also speak out on COVID, for an example, or the LGBT revolution? Because a lot of pro-lifers will say, listen, we're going to stay on subject. We're going to stay on topic. We don't feel like these issues are important or they detract or distract from what we're trying to achieve, which is educate people on abortion. Why do you guys take a different tack? Okay, well, it's a, it's a good question. We we started off uh, in 1997, so we're kind of ancient in terms of uh, mm-hmm. in terms of online presence. Um, we started off because um, 1997 also coincided with the first year Canada did its March for Life, and we noticed because we were going to the United States March for Life for years already that the mainstream media wouldn't cover it. And it's totally bizarre when you have like hundreds of thousands of people blocking major roads. Uh, imagine you get stuck in your car for hours waiting yeah. for the march to pass. You get home, oh dear, there's a big anti-abortion thing going on. And you watch the news and there's absolutely nothing. You know, you're going to get some cocked eyebrows from your wife. <laughs> what the heck did you miss dinner for? Um, yeah. So this is bizarre. So we had to represent the truth of life that was going on. But also we noticed the coverage on life issues was completely insane remember the cnn specials they would start with a bullet hole in a window and then they would tell the story about how horrific it was that this you know abortion activist was shot at complete nonsense especially for us so in canada we've never had an abortionist shot yet they would start all the television news specials about the pro-life movement with the broken window <laughs> and, and the abortion is lying there dead on the table with his family. And it's never happened here. So um, complete fabrication. And yet that's their MO. So we had to not only tell the story of what's happening in, in pro-life circles, also like provide the truth of what's happening because it's so misrepresented. It's not even funny. And so, but why, why LGBT and why COVID, Right, especially COVID, because they're they're using that as the pretext to take you guys down. I mean, to to deplatform you. Absolutely. Well, let let me talk first about COVID and then get to the LGBT issue. So COVID is actually intimately tied to the pro-life issue because the very, the very solution that everyone's looking for and that they're pushing and that they're actually going to be pushing in a way that is mandated is the vaccines and the vaccines called vaccine which they are actually a vaccine they're not it's a shot probably speaking they're they're operating systems moderna calls it an operating system anyway that's what it is but what's interesting about it is they're made on the backs of aborted babies so Mm, these vaccines can't be developed and weren't developed 
without the use of aborted fetal cell lines. Mm, now, right. with certain vaccines, you have actually DNA remnants of the aborted babies in the vaccine themselves. That's not mm-hmm. true of the mRNA vaccines. So the Pfizer Moderna vaccine, we don't have that. But at various stages of its development, they used the aborted fetal cell lines for testing. Now, they make the argument that this should be used and whatever else. Pro-lifers don't care. This is absolutely horrendous to try and sort of profit off the bodies of killed and murdered babies. And that's I mean, so obviously the COVID the COVID vaccine, as you say, I mean, really is just a shot. But the COVID vaccine is is an issue for pro-life advocates it should be uh unfortunately it hasn't been a whole lot i I don't think there's been enough discussion about it i think i i see pro-life activists and and leaders even taking the shot i mean it's like what what's going on here we need a robust discussion you guys were willing to go there which i appreciated lots aren't and they use that as a pretext to take it down what's totally unbelievable is even from, and I hate to say it, from, from pro-life activists, some of my friends and brothers in arms, uh, they have taken issue with our coverage on this. They have called us fake news on this. Mm. <laughs> but wow. go look at what we've done. I mean, the videos we put out, the interviews we did right. uh, are with the top doctors in this. We talked to uh, Professor Yeadon, who I think most people know is a former VP of Pfizer. Uh, you know, that that article alone has nearly over 4 million views right now. We have, uh, I did an amazing interview with a microbiologist, uh, Pamela Acker, who gave us really the details on how these aborted fetal cell lines were created. Um, the number of babies that were killed, because everybody says, you know, oh, it was one or two babies and that's all. Yeah, it was. It was that's ago. all absolutely baloney. Right. So, well, uh, you know, I, so, so John, John Henry, I get it. I think that, uh, you know, I understand for me, I think it's a worthy debate to have, and I'm glad you guys were doing that and are doing that. And in in I think it's irrefutable that your stuff is is factual. You say it's taken for the government. I appreciate that. I want to switch gears to the LGBT because I'm concerned. I have been for a very long time that uh, the pro life movement has been making alliances uh, with LGBT groups and activists. Because they want the big tent. They think that this, politically speaking, uh, strategically, it's better that we lock arms with whoever we can. If they're anti-abortion, doesn't really matter what they believe elsewise. Anything else goes. And I, for one, think that's a recipe for disaster, tactically. But also, it's immoral. I don't think as Christians we can do that. There are lines we have to draw in whom we are willing to uh, make these strategic uh joint ventures. You guys take on the LGBT revolutionaries, I, and I very much appreciate that. And because of that, you get a lot of blowback. I'd like to talk about, again, unlike COVID, where there's a direct relationship to the unborn, um, and we can draw that out. Why do you guys take on the LGBT revolutionaries when you're just a pro-life group? Why don't you do like most of the pro-life movement says and just get along with these folks and welcome them in and work with them? Well, there's so many 
reasons for that. But first and foremost, we're actually Christian. First and foremost, we right. put God above all else. And so we are willing to die for him and for his truth. And that includes the truth on his creation of man as male and female and his union of one man and one woman in the sacrament of marriage. So that's from a fundamental point of view. But strategically, look at what happens when you pretend to have a big tent with people who totally fundamentally disagree with you on the fundamentals that you care about. Look at the Republican Party. Rhinos destroy the party. Sorry, but they do. Um, And if you want it, even from another perspective, look at the other side. They're all the same people. They're all the same people. It's rent-a-mob from the NARAL to the LGBT pushing to the transgender. They're all the same folks. Sorry, guys. They're the same. And they support one another big time. So there is no separation on their end. Our end, just like actually most conservatives, we try this big tent thing. We, we, uh, 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 a um, member a member of parliament on our end and on your end, a congressman will get into power and he'll actually leave in the former office staff because he thinks, oh, well, we can all work together anyway. It's all, all nonsense. <laughs> they're mortal enemies on the other side and they're willing to do whatever. And yet we're not savvy enough to pick that up. That's so sad. Our Lord told us. Well, to I think be. we're so we're so very short sighted. We think about, well, we, we need them in order to win. And it really is undermining the message altogether. And you, you guys are, are, I guess, I think the best uh, example of how they're out to destroy you. I mean, these these LGBT groups, they're not pro-life LGBT, so, so to speak, but they're they're dedicated to taking you down. Uh, I think there is uh, something called co-belligerency. I believe in that. I think Francis Schaeffer wrote about that and others. I mean, Jesus talks about uh, that whoever is not against you is for you. There are ways we need to work with people in a short-term basis on one specific possibly t- political issue in order to to bring about some kind of social change. But long-term alliances— with those who might, you know, I'm, I might share the podium with someone who's uh, LGBT and against abortion, but that doesn't mean I have to work hand in glove with them. And I think that's where we err. Your thoughts? Well, definitely. This issue, particularly the LGBT issue, also impinges with all of pro-life thought anyway. Apart mm-hmm. from all the Agreed. things we already mentioned, the family is the basis of pro-life. And Mm -hmm. there is no way to defend the life of the child because the life of the child is connected to the life of the family. You are harming and abusing children if you bring them up in an atmosphere that has no father, no mother. There's a tragic incident when it happens, uh, but we don't base what we want to do on tragedy. We try and offer the best to children. You don't want to fulfill the the uh, claim of the other side that pro-lifers, all you care about is the baby in the womb. When the baby's born, you don't give a damn. First of all, that's a lie, but we're making it into a truism when we're trying to say, oh, yes, well, all we're concerned about is baby in the womb, the family that they're born into. Well, that's totally other matter. We're going to step out of it. No, actually. And of course, the sexuality generally, I mean, we're talking about not only is the destruction of the unborn an attack against the image of God itself, which is human life, but sexuality and how God defined that within the covenant of marriage is the way that he said that that is that is our human identity. Any attack against that covenant, whether it be homosexuality, pornography, LGBTQ, 
is an attack against the image of God. Uh, and I think that's where we miss it. We're actually Absolutely. allowing people to come in and it's a house divided and it undermines. I mean, it just it just doesn't work. It's a, it goes against natural law that we would not uh, exclude these people from, you know, our our inner workings. So, um, you know, I, I think that for a short period of time, well, let, let me get, let me talk about just the culture of death. We think about abortion being the culture of death because it kills an unborn baby. But uh, just anything outside the covenant of marriage is really an attack on the human person. It is. And it's a attack on life. And we see that in. Well, even if you look at dry stats, you see that. So the child is most protected in an intact family. The abortion rates of right. non-intact families are massive compared the other way. And the other thing is. We actually, many people think, oh, it's so pro-life to have IVF. No, it's not. No. IVF is one of those things that for a lot of Christians, they think, oh, that's just a great and wonderful, awesome thing because you're creating mm -hmm. life. No, you're not. You're actually costing life. Look into IVF. This is why the, the church has always fought IVF, by the way, but also why Christians who know the science behind IVF and their faith well will never, ever approve of IVF because... Okay, just from a pro-life perspective, you create how many embryos to start with, and right. you try and implant them. You try and implant them in multiples, hoping that one will stick. I made an example once to try and get this point across to people. Imagine you're standing on the top of a building, and uh, in another building across a laneway, there's an open window with a couple wanting a baby, and they can't have it with the sad faces. And you're on top of this building, and you've got 20 little babies around, and they're all nicely there in their diapers. And you think, hey, I can get that couple of baby. I can throw three babies at a time across the alleyway toward the open window, hoping I make it in. And throw three, oops, didn't matter. Uh, we can try again. We've got five more shots. That's actually an accurate, per, per, uh, you know, uh, thing that they do with IVF they make about 20 um, unborn babies uh, as in the lab first of all illicitly God God created uh, you know the sexual act for sexual union and that's right. how we're going to come to be and right. so we we have this uh, God ordained procedure to bring life into the world when we go against it we go against not only God we go life, against everything we believe my, my guest today is John Henry Weston and folks you can go to uh, his blog, and check out uh, some of his writings. He also hosts the John Henry Weston program. It's a podcast. You can check that out at LifeSiteNews.com. And we're talking today about a house divided and how the sexual revolutionaries are infiltrating the pro-life movement. Uh, John Henry, we only got a couple minutes left. How, do you, how would you uh, prescribe pro-life activists and groups to handle the LGBTQ revolutionaries who come and say, we're pro-life. We want to be part of the movement. How, how do you suggest we, we deal with that? Because that's a real thing and it's happening and people are welcoming them in for the most part. Yes. Well, for some of them who are sincere, um, we can thank them for their support and, uh, you know, engage with them where they can to support the movement if they want to donate to the movement or they want to promote it among their friends to vote for a certain uh, pro-life legislation or encourage politicians to vote for pro-life legislation. But that's actually as far as it can get. 
You can mm-hmm. never allow them into the inner workings because the inner workings of the pro-life movement necessarily deals with the family issues where they're opposed and not only opposed, they're ideologically opposed such that your plans that you're sharing with them will be divulged. But they have to do that. That's where they sit. That's where they stand. That's where they are. And how can we expect anything else? If you yourself were in, a, let's say, a movement to... Um, uh, you know, get the get the dollar back up, or, or no, a really good one like defending uh, the right to bear arms. But in that same movement, they were saying, "Yes, a right to bear arms," but we're going to actually and, and make it crazy. You know, use it to undermine the pro-life movement. You'd have to make that public because your mm-hmm. first love is being threatened, and you you you'd have to. So these folks uh, might be well-meaning in terms of life, might be led there. We've always got to treat everyone with love, but mm-hmm. with love comes truth. Right. You can't truly love somebody when you don't give them the truth. And it's exactly why we're supporting life, supporting life in the womb for the sake of the mothers, because we know that it costs the mothers. It costs them their health, their mental health, but also their spiritual health. And it's exactly the same with the LGBT issue. As Christians, so we all know. We only got about 50 seconds left, so I'm going to need to wrap it up, John Henry. I appreciate Absolutely. you being on the program. Uh, folks, go to uh, John Henry's uh, blog, if you would, at lifesitenews.com and check him out. He's got a podcast there as well. And also, again, I wanted to draw your attention to the Day of Action, which happens June 13 and 14 here in Columbus, if you want to be equipped as a pro-life activist and actually learn how to take what we train you to do and take it out onto the streets. You can join us for the Day of Action, June 13 and 14. And so today we're talking about the, uh, the, the sexual revolutionaries and how that's undermining the pro-life effort. And if you want to learn more about this, um, please go to createdequal.org or you can go to lifesitenews.com. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.